Well, we continue this morning in our studies in the letter to the Hebrews. And we've reached Hebrews chapter 7 and the section that continues from verse 17 or 18. We've already seen in our earlier study in Hebrews 7 how great Melchizedek was, the man who's mentioned in detail in this chapter. We've been, as it were, obeying the exhortation of the writer in verse 4. Now consider how great this man was. And in considering how great Melchizedek was, we realize how great Christ is, because Melchizedek is a type of Christ. We've seen that he was a king of righteousness and a king of peace, that he united uh, priesthood and kingship in his person. We've seen that he was surrounded by the atmosphere of eternity, as it makes clear in verse 3. We've seen his greatness in that Abraham gave a tenth, a tithe of the spoils to him, and that when Abraham or Abraham did that, uh, it was as though all the tribes, especially Levi, uh, within the loins of Abraham, was doing just that. And that has been the theme of the opening half of chapter 7. We now look at how great uh, Melchizedek's priesthood is. That's the, the, the main theme of the second half of Hebrews 7. And the writer approaches this by showing that Aaron's order of priesthood is far inferior to Melchizedek's order of priesthood. And once again, from that, we learn the surpassing greatness of Christ and his priesthood. In Hebrews chapter 5 and uh, through to chapter 7, there is a continuing refrain. You can't help but have noticed it if you have uh, been in on these studies. This continuing refrain, this repetition from Psalm 110 of the verse, Thou art a priest forever after after the order of Melchizedek. As one commentator puts it rather helpfully, you could almost think the writer is going around in circles in continually coming back to this particular statement. But as he says, it's, it's not like the aimless circles of a tethered goat chewing grass, but rather it is the rotations of a penetrating drill which is uncovering new layers of truth and new insights into the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. I think that's a tremendous illustration of what's going on here. He keeps returning to it because he's digging ever deeper in order that we may understand Christ's high priesthood. Let's just take it in the order that we have it in this passage. Uh, Why is Aaron's order of priesthood inferior to Melchizedek's? Well, the first reason for this is because the law by which Aaron's order was constituted was imperfect. That's what's being said in verses 18 and 19. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. The law, that is the law of Moses, which established 
the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants. And you can read all about it in Exodus particularly and in other parts of the Pentateuch. That law established that the tribe of Levi, and in particular Aaron and his descendants, uh, were those that, that uh, brought the priesthood, that had the priesthood. But, says the writer, even though that was obviously God's arrangement, God's law, it made nothing perfect. There was something wrong with it. It was, as he puts it, unprofitable and weak. Now, we need to just step back here and remind ourselves that what God does, everything he does is good. Everything he does is perfect and wise. So why should the law of God be described as weak and unprofitable? Well, the answer is given by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. Uh, For example, in chapter 8, as he talks about the law and Uh, In that section, verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The problem is not the law of God. The problem is us. The problem is not what God requires and asks. The problem is in our response to it. And it makes nothing perfect, he says. It rather is weak and unprofitable for the purposes of salvation. Or let me put it to you very simply. No one is saved simply by knowing what the Ten Commandments are. I hope we do know what the Ten Commandments are. I hope we do know the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But just knowing that, although these are true, although these are from God, there's a sense in which just left like that, they are weak and unprofitable. Why? Because of us. Because they don't help us to draw near to a holy God. They don't help us not to be sinners. God never intended to save man through the law alone. God never intended to save us and bring us to heaven just by telling us how we should be holy like he is holy. Or even through establishing a priesthood like Aaron's. As it says, the law made nothing perfect But the bringing in of a better hope did. Something else was needed, a better hope. And that something else or that someone else is the Lord Jesus Christ. So just having the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants is not going to help these Hebrew Christians if they decide to throw in the towel as far as Christianity goes and go back to their Judaism. They're going back to a priesthood that will save nobody That priesthood was there by God's arrangement. And its great task was to point forward to a superior priesthood. Its great task was to anticipate another priesthood. A priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. So that's his first point. And the second point we find in verses 23 and 24 I'm not taking this necessarily in quite the order it's written, but in verses 23 and 24. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. The second reason why Aaron and all the priests from Aaron downwards were inferior 
is because they all had to die. They were all subject to death. They were not suffered to continue by reason of death. And this is really spelt out in the case of the first high priest of Israel, Aaron himself. In Numbers chapter 20, you might say the word of God makes a big thing of it. The death of Aaron. Aaron was a man of God. He had his sins and weaknesses, but he was a man of God. And in Numbers chapter 20, verse 25 onwards, we read about Aaron's death. Moses is instructed, take Aaron and Eleazar, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar, his son. This is going to be the next high priest, Eleazar. And Aaron shall be gathered unto his people and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up unto Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there in the top of the mount. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. What a, what a visual aid this is to us. You can just imagine it. It's Aaron with those garments of beauty and glory the purple and the fine linen and so on. And he, he strips Aaron of those garments. He, he disrobes him. And he takes those gorgeous robes. He takes the ephod. He takes the mitre. And he, and he places them on Eliezer. And there's Aaron now, just dressed like any other man. And he stays there on the mountain because he's going to die there. That's high priest number one, finished. He's died. He's about to die. And then the time will come when Eliezer will die. And so it goes on and on. They're all subject to death. Do you really want to go back to that, to a priesthood that is so subject to death, when there's a far superior priesthood here, a priesthood of one of whom it says he lives? That's the point he made about Melchizedek in verse 3. Although Melchizedek actually was human like us, the way in which the word of God doesn't say anything about his ancestors or his, his descendants leaves us wondering, who is this man? He comes from nowhere and he seems to go no, to, into nowhere. Into, there's the whole mysterious atmosphere about him. Without father, without mother, without descent. So that the writer can say, he lives. There's no account of his death. He lives. But that's just a type. The great anti-type, the great object of this illustration is Jesus himself. Whom death could not hold. Who was raised incorruptible from the dead. But this man, because he continueth ever. That is Jesus hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What a high priest we have. He can never die. No one will strip the robes off Christ. No one will dispossess him of his office. No one will come to him and say, look, you're just getting a bit past it now. 
You're just uh, getting a bit too old for this work now. Don't you think you should lay down the baton and pass it on? No one will ever say that to Christ because he will live eternally. He lives. He'll always live. And because he'll always live, he'll always make intercession for you if you're one of his people. He'll never stop pleading for you throughout eternity. There'll never be a time when he does not present his hands and his side, his wounds, his finished work to the Father on your behalf. And the reason you will be in heaven for eternity if you're a believer is because he is there. And he'll never stop being there. And you'll never stop being accepted in the beloved. Third reason. Verses 26 to 28. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. We can summarize this point by saying that the Aaronic priesthood was inferior because even the best of this line of priesthood were weak and sinful. Even the best of them were sinful. This is a point that's made in chapter 5 and verse 3. As he talks about the Aaronic line, he mentions that the priests then were compassed with infirmity and, for the, and by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sins. Because these priests, the Levitical priests, were sinners, just like you and I. They too were sinners. We have graphic accounts of Aaron's sinfulness Just glance, if you have your Bible, at chapter 32 of Exodus. Just glance again at what Aaron did. He was completely weak in the uh, presence of the people of Israel. When Moses was up on the mountain communing with God, Aaron was down in the valley and he was weak as the people started going after other gods. And he went along with it. He didn't have the strength and resolution uh, to, to resist it. He said to the people who wanted to make gods, break off the golden earrings from your ears. Uh, and then he, he received them, he fashioned them with a graving tool and made a molten calf. And he said, these are your gods, O Israel. Now, to be fair to Aaron, probably he was trying to syncretize, he was trying to use idolatrous imagery for the worship of the true gods. But it was, it was idolatry, really. And when Moses came down from the mount, and he said to Aaron, what did, this, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief and so on. It's a lame excuse because he was weak and sinful. And some of the high priests were very weak and extremely sinful. We think of Caiaphas. We think of Annas, 
who in the days of Jesus committed him to crucifixion. If they'd known who they were crucifying, they wouldn't have done it, but their eyes were blinded with sin and pride and wickedness, and so they crucified the Lord of glory. So when those Aaronic priests went into the high, into the temple, into the Holy of Holies once a year, they had to offer sacrifices, not only for the people, but for themselves. And then throughout the rest of the year, they were offering up daily sacrifices for their own sins and their own people. But you see, Jesus and the Melchizedek line is so much better. Jesus never sinned. This is the point he's making here. He became as he's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And we can think of this in two ways. The first is Jesus was never the cause of someone else sinning. He never corrupted anyone. He never abused and corrupted and misled anyone. He was holy. He was harmless. And then secondly, he was never defiled by someone else's sins. Undefiled. He was pure. He was pure love. He was pure wisdom. He was absolute integrity, absolute faithfulness. Absolute self-denial for the sake of others. And so when he offered sacrifices, yes, he offered sacrifice for the sins of the people, but he never once had to offer sacrifice for his own sins. But he did offer himself. But not for his sins, but for our sins. For our sins. For, For this he did once when he offered up himself, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Notice he did it once and only once, once for all. It's not repeated. It's not repeated in the Lord's Supper. That's a memorial of what happened in the past. It's not repeated through anything the church does or people do, or preachers do. It was once, and once for all. That's going to be the great argument as we move on in Hebrews. So the priesthood of Aaron was inferior because it was the result of the law of God, because the priesthood was subject to death, because even the best of the Aaronic priests were weak and sinful, And then finally, because Aaron's priesthood was administered without an oath. That's an argument that he makes here. Verses 20 to 21. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. For these priests were made, that is, those priests, the Levitical priests, were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. No high priest in Aaron's line needed an oath to become a priest. Because they were appointed by the law of God. And they were the result of the right genealogy. If they were born of Levi, if they were of Aaron's line as far as the high priesthood went... 
That was enough. But in the case of Melchizedek and in the case of Jesus, made a priest after the order of Melchizedek, there is an oath. The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art an oath. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we may ask, why does God need to add an oath there? Surely everything God says, every word in the Bible and everything he says is true and reliable. Yes, of course it is. All his words, all his promises are reliable. So an oath is an act of condescension by God. An oath is an accommodation by God where he wants to stress the particular sanctity and truthfulness of what he is saying at this point. He, at this point he is saying, I add my oath to show the extreme importance and sanctity of my promise that Jesus, the Messiah, will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's adding an infallible oath to an infallible promise. And in that way, he is establishing the superiority of the priesthood of Christ and therefore the superiority of the New Covenant and New Testaments. How much depends on our understanding of the Word of God. These Hebrew Christians, many of them were in a poor state spiritually. They hadn't always been like that, but they'd slipped back into being like that. And so before he begins to talk about Melchizedek, he says, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are full, ye are dull of hearing. They couldn't take it, you see. That was his fear, that they just couldn't take all this. It was too much for them, for various reasons. You know, friends, we do need to get our minds and hearts and thoughts into the word of God, into the deep parts, into the theology of it. And here we have such a wonderful theme, the oath of God. God declaring with an oath, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, the superiority of this covenant under which we are, if we're believers, far, far superior to what God did with the Old Testament people far superior to the old covenant because we have such a priest. And therefore, as we sum up, we can say this. All these things are just right for us as sinners. That's what he's saying. For such an high priest became us. He's just what we need. We, we don't need a sinful priest. We've got sins enough of our own. We don't need a priest who's going to die We're going to die. We need someone who lives forever on our behalf. We don't need someone who's going to bring more trouble and more imperfection and more weakness into true worship and religion. We need something better than that. We need to know and to know that we know that this is just exactly the one whom we need. And God swears with an oath. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do not doubt God's absolute commitment to your blessing, to your integrity as a Christian. 
Just remember that time when Simon Peter was right on the brink. He could have become like Judas Iscariot. It just needed a little servant girl to say to him, you are one of his disciples, are you not? And he denied him and he swore and he, 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 he denied Christ three times. But Jesus had said to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You see, the high priest was praying for him. That's the kind of high priest I need. That's the kind of high priest you need. Remember that great Aaronic blessing that was given in Numbers chapter 6 to Aaron and to all the priests after him and surely to Jesus as well. Uh, This is how you'll bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Do you know Jesus Christ is praying that for you, my brother, my sister, every moment, every day, every hour. And God is blessing you. God is keeping you. And that's why sometimes he chastises you and has hard things for you because he's keeping you, he's blessing you. He's making his face shine upon you. He's being a true father to you. And we have such a high priest. He's just right for us. In New Testament Christianity, preachers come and go. Preachers die of pandemic. Preachers die of old age. Churches come and go. Churches rise and fall. Christian friends fall asleep in Christ and they're gone. And we miss them. But here is one who never dies. Here is one who can save you to the uttermost. No limit in time, no limit in situation. Such a high priest became us.